Hi, I'm Wendy, and I sometimes like to reread things. <laughs> yeah, I'm Brandon, and I like to reread things, and sometimes I enjoy it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, we like to hang out and talk about books. In this case, it's just stuff that we're rereading and figuring out if we still like it and why we may have liked it in the first case. Yep, and sometimes we make sense, and sometimes we don't. In this episode, we discuss The Forever War by Joe Halderman, and we spoil everything. So, The Forever War, Joe Halderman. <laughs> I'll ask this time, uh, when did you read this book last? I think it's probably been 12 to 15 years. I know I've read this one a few times. I'm pretty sure the first time I read it, though, was I was already like 19 or 20. You know, so out of high school, uh, a little bit older. Um, I remember the first time that it just absolutely blew my mind, right? Um, and I do still remember enjoying it. I, I probably read it, I don't know, I think I said two or three times. But I, I do remember enjoying it every time. I have not read anything else by Joe Haldeman. None of the sequels, nothing. So this is, this is it for me and Haldeman. How about you? I, I can't pinpoint, because I've only read it one other time, and I can't pinpoint the first time I read it. It's either late 90s, early 2000s, because it was definitely something that, uh, that Adam had uh, on, on his bookshelf. And I think it was a time when I hadn't really read much science fiction. I've always been a fantasy horror reader, and my science fiction has come almost exclusively through like TV uh, and movies with you know like the occasional exception so i made kind of a concerted effort right to like read more science fiction and he had a whole bunch of classics and the forever war was definitely one of those i remember being quite impressed by by some aspects of it so uh but i have not read anything else by him with the exception of it i almost don't count it as a joe halderman and i'm gonna get the name wrong but i have a feeling it was like his brother wrote something and he I came across this list, and I don't know if it was a tour list or if it was one of these others, and it was about, I think, like, uh, it was, like, schools. And I'm, all, you know, like I was, oh, I'm all about, you know, like, the not Harry Potter necessarily, but just anything that was, like, a school. And this was, like, sold as some kind of, like, military academy. And it was, that was a post made of lies because it was only in the fairest sense of it. So uh, I, but I'm not blaming Haldeman for that. I, I don't know who's responsible, but he, I'm not resting it squarely on his shoulders. Uh, so yeah, this is my two times with the, with the forever war counts. Did you read this on your Kindle again? I did, yeah. Did it have the author's note and the front matter and all that stuff it in there? It did. I think from the from the cover that I can see, I think we have the same one because it's the 2009 like reprint. And the, I think the key is it has the John Scalzi introduction. This one does not have that. Oh, okay. Um, this one is listed as the author's preferred edition. I thought it was interesting that... So the, the thing that I remembered most about this is all the stuff in between the battles. Right. I've never been a big military SF guy. I mean, that's like a whole genre onto itself. Uh, it, it's never really done a lot for me. But the idea that, you know, this relativistic travel and the, the soldiers go out and they come back and society is just completely changed in that time. That's the stuff that I remember. But the idea that this whole long section of that was not part of the novel when it was originally published is just absolutely wild. Um, and, and so... 
that section was not in the book that got the Hugo and Nebula, right? I mean, that book was basically just the battles version of this (laughs) with a little bit of that societal change in. So I think that is just super interesting. It really is. It looks like a long history. I tried to read through like just all of the, all of the changes. So it looked like it was originally published uh, in analog mm-hmm. and then somebody picked it up Macmillan or this and then it went through a number of reprints and changes and uh, so yes I can see why we'd have to have an author's preferred edition uh, the one thing that stood out I think by the from the author's note uh, and I, I might it's hard to tell what it was re- regarding but uh, but that first book version is essentially the analog version with quote more adult language and situations as they say in Hollywood but I think the the novella the part about being back on earth and the Mm -hmm. other bits uh, was something that you're right was was added later I didn't remember much of anything about the book aside from being I think I had my notes before I started to read and I said that uh, I remember being impressed by it. I remembered that it was about uh, a lot of the absurdity of war. And then I had a, I think it's Vietnam, which turned out to be correct. Uh, and then something cool about space travel and time differences. And that is all I remembered. So I was really surprised to open it up and have it, you know, that whole like military opening. No, no recollection. But I did get excited by the way it was structured mm-hmm. because I don't know that I would count myself as like a military SF fan, but there is a small subsection that I do like a lot. And it's totally like if you you could sell me Horatio Hornblower anywhere and I would be all over it. And so I very much enjoy the, you know, the soldier coming up in the ranks kind of story. So yeah. that immediately you know, triggered some kind of like happiness response, which I think is great because the book totally subverts all of that. Uh, but I was still, I was game for it. I was excited. The first thing that hit me as I read this uh, is the power armor. Um, Cause that's, you know, that that's almost, there's a lot of that out there. Uh, I know Starship Troopers has got it, but the one that really means the most to me is a book called Armor by John Stakely, which I found a copy of when I was, probably like 10 years old at my grandma's house and I, I don't know which of my relatives it belonged to it was not my grandma's for sure um, but it, it was one of those you know formative books that I went back and reread a while ago and really doesn't hold up as well as I would have liked it to um, but yeah the, just the idea of power armor if nothing else that would have gotten me into this book you know when I first found out about it yeah, I can see that. What that figured into Starship Troopers too, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of that stuff out there. Yeah, I like the. I think that one of the things the book does really well for me is the way that it's. It doesn't sneak stuff in, but it's the science. It's the science, uh, and it's something you know. Even like the detail with the power armor, it felt. I enjoyed the explanations. You know, when it was the oh, this is really dangerous and. Like, okay, why? And then they, they 
break it down where, oh, and they'll even give you the example. And I, I'm not going to look through my notes, but it's the, you know, look, you're gripping this thing, but there's so much power behind it that that means that if you do this, and so it really spells out that cause and effect. And so it always makes me feel smarter than I really am and also sets up really nicely for, of course, right, something's going to go terribly awry down on the on the planet. And uh, I liked being able to see that spelled out. Yeah, it, that's that's actually a part of SF that I really like is the, you know, you've got this particular physical universe problem and you've got to figure out how to solve it. I mean, it, it's in everything from, I mean, you know, Apollo 13, which is a real life thing, of course, but it, it's all over the place. And you're right, it's set up from the very beginning. Um, I think Haldeman plays pretty fair with all the, the science that he's using. I don't know a whole lot about it. There are other things I had issues with, but science was not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. It it all sounded really believable. I think I even asked, you know, is is this physics good? And the response I got was, no, that's the cool part. (laughs) And so I was like, okay. Uh, I think there was even a note at some point in time where I was was really excited. I think I even said something like, ooh, is is science nerdery going to save the day again? Give me some Apollo 13 style engineering. (laughs) And uh, I think that was probably when they were trying to solve the problem of uh, the Mary Gay, I think, got wounded, and so they were trying to make it so that she could live through that jump. And I really loved that part, uh, partly because, yes, they do kind of solve it, but it made me really happy that Mandela, like, half got there. But it took the doctors. It was more of a collaborative thing rather than, like, sole genius. I thought that was great and a cool way to sneak in more science. So, more science. I, I think probably also, I, I've never been in the military, but I think that's probably a lot of how, you know, military problems go, right? Nobody's ever on their own, and unless you go, I mean, when you are, you're in really big trouble. But the idea of just collaborative problem solving, I think that's a big part of it. I didn't take a whole lot of notes in the early part of this. Um, I didn't have any problems with, like I said, the science. Like, I, like I, I mean, I didn't have any problems following it and understanding what he was laying out. And I... I had that kind of anticipation, right? Where I was like, okay, this is this is the setup. We got to get through this stuff. I remember this part, and then they're going to go fight, and then we get back to the good stuff when they're back on Earth. So I, I was kind of, you know, saving all my excitement up for that. Yeah, I was clean slate enough that I wasn't sure how long it was going to take. It was clearly set up, but I didn't know the pattern. So I was looking for, I didn't know if there was going to be a hard shift to it or what was happening. So I have, I guess, probably more (laughs) notes. Uh, They are not related to the science (laughs) either. Uh, My initial ones, you know, just, I liked the, that, that solid opening line. I thought that was great. The tonight we're going to show you eight silent wills, ways to kill a man. Like, great. And then the guy who said that was a sergeant who didn't look five older years older than me. And so if he'd ever killed a man in combat silently or otherwise, he'd have done it as an infant. I just I loved that opening paragraph. It was that cool surprise. It was really short and sweet, but also I think it, it just felt like 
what Vietnam potentially might be like with just really people who are young serving. And I thought that that was just a fantastic setup. And then even the following paragraph, I already knew 80 ways to kill people, but most of them were pretty noisy. And right away, I was like, okay, I, I like this narrator. And so I had a good time with that beginning. And then I did like the, just sort of the call-outs of just how ridiculous those that system is, the absurdity of it, the, the Byzantine nature of it. That might have been the section where they were talking about the uh, the building bridges in a place where there's no no real water. That that was great. But then I started to turn on him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, note page five. Ha ha ha, that's so weak. <laughs> Note, page five, barf. <laughs> so, <laughs> so where I started to turn and where it took me a really long time was I was initially intrigued that they had men and women serving. And then it spooled out in a way that I did not enjoy. So the, where I, I sort of... Yeah, I began to distance myself from the narrative somewhat, and it took a while to get me spooled back in, was the, I patted her hip in what I hoped was a brotherly fashion, Knight Rogers, goodnight stallion. <laughs> and I was, I was like, no. And then, why do you always get the tired ones when you're ready and the randy ones when you're tired? I bowed to the inevitable... <laughs> And yeah, um, definitely the the casual sex and the intimacy did not feel right to me. Um, it was written a long time before American women served in combat zones, of course. Um, it felt more like a fantasy of what you know a male soldier in combat would want, um, rather than anything that actually resembles what the reality became. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, it just really <laughs> had such a rough time with it. And it's just a thread that goes through the whole thing. Well, I mean, that really isn't even the worst part. I mean, I've got this note here about, I think they're on uh, the Stargate, and it's they unleashed the 18 sex-starved men on our women. I mean... Oh yeah, no. It it just keeps getting getting awful like that. There was one that was uh, maybe it's the same one where I think they referenced the uh, you know people were really happy to see us, especially like the two really tired looking women. Uh, yeah, it mentions that their compliance and promiscuity are military custom and law, which I, I mean I don't even know that that definitely feels like some kind of fantasy. But it feels, it, I mean, it just feels so old and out of place. Um, it's definitely not something that I think you would see in anything published by a mainstream publisher now. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm happy with it. So back to that author's note, you know, with the like adult situations, I just thought... If that's what you meant, what a terrible ad. It may not be, but... I didn't even think about that. You know, by the time we got it into the story, I wasn't thinking about that particular edition. Wow. Yeah, you're probably right, though. So it just... And it... I don't think it did anything interesting. You're probably completely right that it's just fantasy and... Uh, 
um, maybe it would appeal to a reader. I mean, lots of people read it, but, you know, I mean, I lived through the 70s, not as an adult, but still, you know, I, you, know you rewatch or like relook at, you know, some 1970s material. And yes, like the sort of casual ingrained sexism is there, but I just... <laughs> It's not a real podcast until you get a car on it. Right. Goodness. <laughs> but I guess it's like the warning, warning sexism. So I knew or I had feelings that there was going to be something good there, but it did create just, I, I, I rolled it. I don't think it wasn't like a deal breaker, but it made me like the narrator less and it made me worried about the time jumps because I, I didn't know what to expect and but by that time I didn't even really remember what the what the nature of the time jumps were uh, so so yeah most of the time I guess it was just it was just tedious though there was probably the low point was when they were in combat and they had triggered the hypnotic suggestion yeah and there was it, it was rape and they even and it wasn't just well, that didn't need to be there. But I, if I remember, there was actually, uh, like, he described it a little bit. I think it was the, I think it was just, like, throbbing purple members or some terrible thing that uh, the worst writers would have been ashamed <laughs> to, to put to, to paper. Uh, and I, I just kind of thought, um, he tried to do the, oh, I felt distance from this, but I was being conditioned. And yet... I don't. And then with all the other stuff in it, it just was really off-putting. Uh, not enough, again, to damn the whole book, but it, it marred it a little bit, and it makes it feel really old. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things in this book that make it feel really old. I, I don't think that this same text would be received the same way today. I, I imagine, like me, there's a lot of people who have some older memories of this and look at it in a very nostalgic way. I, mean, I guess... I'm happy my memory had sort of scrubbed all that away, which speaks, I think, to the strength of the cool parts. Yeah. But it was it was a disappointment, uh, and it certainly made me like work hard to kind of figure out like where that was going. Was it just um, fantasy wish fulfillment? Yeah. A lot of the the relationships in this are, are sort of odd. Uh, there was one moment oh it was again it was when uh, Mary Gay had been injured and he's in talking to another character a doctor or somebody and you know she's well it's a you know it's a miracle she even survived or she might not survive the surgery and they're kind of comforting each other and then there's just this little aside that's like yeah we tried to sleep together but you know there was a lot on her mind like so like well, sorry about your uh Debilitating injury. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry about your long-term, you know, your regular sex partner, but you know, you you, you want a bone, and it's just so so gross. So, uh, and so for me, I know, I don't know. Like, what did you think about like the relationship between Mary Gay and what, is it William Mandela? I think that's right. In the beginning, I didn't really pick up on a whole lot of it, and I I think that may be on purpose. The idea of, you know, you're not going to, at least in, in Mandela's voice, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of attachment to anything, especially in the beginning. And that may be, uh, you know, Haldeman trying to come through with the conditioning that they're going through and all this kind of stuff. 
Uh, but then over time, especially once they got back to Earth, it really made a lot more sense to me. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't make that connection, and yet. Uh, I still, I still fell for the end. <laughs> so well played, sir. Uh, very little, you know, sort of groundwork, but it's not a mushy emotional story, really. No, it's not. But it, it kind of gives you. It, it. I don't know how much it feels like, like head over heels, fall in love versus. You are the only person who understands everything that I've been through, and you're the only person who remembers Earth the way I do. And without you, I don't have anybody that understands me in any way. I think that's, that's a, that can certainly be a big part of attraction. Oh, yeah, definitely. And just to try to put yourself in that position, because they, they became so alien to, yeah, all of them that I, I could see that powerful connection. And at least, I mean, there was some groundwork, right? Like there had been clearly physical attraction and there was, they liked one another. They had good time. So it wasn't quite like the, uh, oh, we're complete strangers, but sure, we're from the t- same, you know, time area. Let's let's go off and, and have babies on a on middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I did like the... I, I liked that that payoff the the I'll wait for you just hearts and oh, I yeah, couldn't help it. it yeah so it was it was so great so the physics is something you know I'm not going to question and I enjoyed but there's a lot of the social science that's in here that I mean some of it I think is just plain wrong um, I don't know how wrong it would have been considered in like 69 70 when he was writing this I mean I don't know it, probably not a whole lot of genetic information available. It, it's just, it's such a long time ago that I don't really have a frame of reference for that. So I don't fault a whole lot of what's in here. And it, it seems almost, that one of the things that really stuck out to me are these gigantic population swings on Earth. So the population goes up from 4 billion up to 9 billion. And there's a whole other problem with dates in this book. I don't know if you caught that, but the dates that are given don't match up throughout the book. Oh. <laughs> okay, so I have this numbers thing, it's very top level, so no, it did, I just would buy everything pretty much. I mean, much. You, you cannot put together a timeline, even of like the simplest part, like here's 1997 where there was the attack, and here's where we left the earth, and here's where we came back the first time. It, it just doesn't match up. But at most, the Earth goes from 4 billion people to 9 billion people in 16 years. Oh, yeah, that seems unrealistic. And then it crashes back down to half, and it feels like the kind of fear-mongering and paranoia about population explosion that came out in that time period. And that may well be where it came from. I mean, obviously... Haldeman, he's, he's a professor at MIT, so he knows the physics, he knows what's going on. He probably reached out for the most current research. I mean, I can give him that benefit of the doubt, uh, but obviously that's completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and even, I don't know, just the time scale involved made it so hard to believe some of these things that were going on. I don't know how important it is to the overall book that you believe every little detail, though. I mean, I think the really important part is just the idea of 
soldiers can never come back to the place that they left because things change while they're gone. Yeah, I think that that holds up really well. Uh, clearly, if you wanted to stop and think about how you know that would be reflective of, of a Vietnam experience, that completely holds up. Uh, and even, yeah, just the, the changes had to have been really significant. Uh, and then I do think that it is interesting to, yeah, like just sort of spool it out into to longer chunks of time. I think that works. I think some of the other pieces, like even if the way that it, it comes about, I, I still got the core idea, which is, yeah, you can't return home or that you, you've, you're not going to connect up. And uh, even just that, the little bit about the, the future shock reference, which apparently was, uh, I think I've heard the phrase before, mm-hmm. didn't recognize the originator that he had mentioned there, but it just said, I'm, I'm sure it was in a different context, but at least this where you're not recognizing, uh, you know, like, cause things catch up or, or you don't. Uh, and so that part worked for, I didn't, I didn't bother, I guess, to like sit down and think about timeline. I would just look for the relevant bits and say, oh yeah, okay, so X number of years have passed. I think the, the rest of it, I just sort of, so I'm the ideal reader for this, right? <laughs> like, sure, whatever you say, and would just, just shrug. It's definitely not something I ever noticed before. I mean, I was paying a lot more attention this time as I read, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I would kind of agree. I mean, some of the, like the visits or like the details, some of it just didn't didn't really resonate. So yeah, I think that the the population boom and the those fears clearly yeah, were well, the, at work. That center section that wasn't in the book when it was originally published, it feels like a very modern right wing terror campaign about what the future is going to be like, right? There's not going to be enough jobs. Everybody's going to need a bodyguard or at least a whole lot of guns. Um, And there's just going to be roaming gangs and possibly the worst of the predictions of anything that could happen in the future in this book. Yeah, it was really... It was depressing. It was probably meant to be, but I think it was depressing in a different way. Uh, But yeah, everything about that was, was horrible. I don't know how much of the... The phrase is loaded, but you know, like that one world government and the, the heartlessness and it was so amped up the, oh, my mom's gonna, my mom's sick. Oh, she was assigned a zero level med. Oh, yeah. The socialized medicine is evil, according to this book. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I was shaking my head. No, you're, you're wrong. Uh, yeah, so that part, just everything was was so dour, and and I couldn't quite decide. I couldn't decide why I thought that was, and so maybe it really was just sort of feeding into the like make make this the the worst future possible. Um, and I guess it also, I suppose, for story's sake, you you need them to reenlist. So the only parts of that I think that that I thought were interesting maybe were like little little tidbits and I the ones that were probably followed through a little bit things like the paying attention to the money because uh, it seems like that would be something and I don't know if that adds up or not but just the idea like oh look we have all of this money and you know as it follows through you're like okay well now the currency's changed and oh look you've got the though I did like it was one point where it's like all of this interest and he's been and it's like now you're almost a billionaire and I just think about like the hellscape we're in now it's like billionaires we got a bunch of them like they uh 
but then event, you know, and then of course, eventually, it's a co-currency. We don't we don't deal with that anymore. Well, yeah, and I think that's one of the things that Haldeman didn't have a great grasp on. You know, and, and I mean, it's a tiny little thing. He he could have written around it in a dozen different ways, but the way he describes taxes is just not accurate <laughs> at all. I mean. Maybe, you know, you could say the person describing it is oversimplifying it for Mandela's, you know, uh, understanding. That's fine. But that's not how tax brackets work. I mean, and it's one of those tiny little things, though, that if you do understand how it works, it's just going to pop you right back out and go, oh, I wish this was different. And and, and another thing, they switched the currency to calories. And then at one point... It switches back to dollars within the same section. <laughs> yeah, it's super inconsistent. It, it very much felt like, well, this is cool. Yeah, dirgibles, sure. <laughs> I just feel like, yeah, it was it was random stuff that was that was stuck in there. So, I, mean, I read, I suppose, with some interest, but not much. So I'm still kind of waiting but I was excited because I knew that this was the first kind of taste of that the time difference and I thought that part was cool it wasn't really played up a lot but just you know the the idea of course that like some people had died you know while they were gone and the age difference with parents or peers I I thought that was cool and I got excited just because I was like yes this is this is where we might start start getting into the things that made me think oh wow this is a really cool story it just meant I did have to wait longer for it because uh, I think honestly my favorite part of that whole se- section was when they do re-enlist and it was like how they got completely screwed over <laughs> and uh, I, um, I I enjoyed that quite a bit because I thought well how are they going to do this and of, of course they're gonna well sure we'll we'll honor your agreement for an hour and a half and then you know new orders I was like yes that's that's the kind of thing that I was expecting and I think maybe maybe from there is where the story really started to to grab me more a lot of those problems don't go away because I don't understand the science I was definitely uh, wowed I suppose by just some of the really great descriptions of just the space travel I think in particular the way that he worked on the uh, the dangers of acceleration and the gravities and oh wow there were just some riveting I thought sections and just a way that I think it played out where it would establish that there was a danger or something would happen and then later on something similar would happen and it I knew enough because of the text before that I could be worried or anticipate and I thought that that was smoothly done uh, so I think yeah, like I I don't know like a lot of especially maybe older science fiction I'm just going to paint it, paint it with a super broad brush it's that the idea <laughs> stuff like works really well but some of the character things you know maybe maybe not so much and uh, yeah I would say definitely more of a physics guy than a, than a lot of other things okay so we got to talk about homosexuality yep and the depictions throughout the book so I think maybe the kindest way to put this is that do you think this is the most shocking thing he could come up with to present as a difference for 
the soldiers to have to, to come up against when they come back to Earth or in contact with people who are from a later time period? I, th- I think so. And I've been wrestling with that whole thing and not being able to pinpoint it. So I think the way that you said it now helps me, helps me understand uh, because some of it... Yeah, <laughs> just, it was a, it was another real sticking point. Yeah, uh, and I have to I have to think, especially I think because of all of the the heterosexual relationships, that it almost had to be, you know, like the oh well we're just gonna flip it. So in the kind way, I was kind of trying to decide, and it's probably from like a more modern standpoint where I'm like, is he trying to like show us? how ridiculous and awful homophobia is and then I th- no I, I don't I don't think so I, I, think, no, it's I shocking. think so it was too pat too neat and there was too much of the language that just felt wrong yeah so it I mean there were ways that definitely and it, it's still from a very male perspective there's the quote I wrote down here was I'd gotten used to open female homosex the men still gave me a chill. Um, and it's, it's obvious that, and, and this is kind of what I was getting towards when I said, you know, maybe, you know, this is the way homosexuality was more widely understood when this was written is as a choice and as a lifestyle rather than is commonly agreed upon today, at least some sort of genetic predisposition or determination. It, it is difficult to read and I really I had to think about it and try and come up with a way to frame it where I could accept it throughout this book besides just saying well this is a product of its time yeah and it it clearly is it's one of the ways that I I could get through it I was really worried uh so the, the quote that you, you shared was definitely one that caught my attention. I think the first time that it was when he was talking to, uh, it was probably like one of the first people after that time jump, and I'm, I'm not being able to find the, the quote right away, but it was the one where basically he was talking about um, him and in his makeup, and it felt very like what, like Louis the Fourteenth or, you know, like that sort of, but the, the white makeup and then they, like his nails, and, uh, and then I think there was a, but of course I'm homosexual and uh, the way that he kind of treated him there. And then there was, there was that other thing where it was like he, he brushed his hair back in a very feminine way. And I just, I remember making a note and saying, Oh no, you know, and then just being really worried. And then my fears really weren't calmed. I think at all, at all. Uh, it helps maybe, well, but because I think Mary Gay had like a better, maybe attitude toward it, or there were, but it was so it was like, oh well, she corrected me, but I'm, I'm just kind of sticking to what. So it always seemed like, oh, he's weathering it. It's like, well, that's that's big of you. There's a passage toward the end of the book, and it feels like it feels like Mandela's almost on the verge of a great realization when he says that. It was dawning on me that I had not the slightest idea of how to conduct myself socially. So much of my normal behavior was based on a complex, unspoken code of sexual etiquette. Was I supposed to treat the men like women and vice versa, or treat everybody like brothers and sisters? I mean, that's almost so close to, 
Oh, gender's a social construct. <laughs> you have almost made it there. <sighs> yeah, and when he talked, I think it was very briefly about how people use different pronouns. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that moment... Oh well, maybe it's going to. Maybe it's going to. No, no. It just seemed like. So at that point, if I'm putting it all in there, I'm like, oh, did he just put that in because it was it was weird or, and so yes, but I, I agree. It was like so close. <laughs> so again, I, I I hesitate to to damn him for it, but I'm not going to praise him, you know, either. And so if I were to recommend the book to someone, I might just say like, like be, be aware, you know, it depends on who I would talk to, but, but I think for, for a lot of people, I would just be like, brace yourself for, for this. It was, again, it was disappointing. And I'm, I'm sad that I don't have a memory of how I reacted. I imagine that it was very similar, uh, but time, you just, just scrubbed that out. And I mean, part of it is I probably just filed it in the great wash of that stuff that just permeates so much of, of culture for so long. So I guess it makes me very grateful that there are so many other really good uh, texts to to turn to, but and it just so then I worry a little bit because it seems like that's the one that's one of the things that sticks throughout the whole. Thing. I mean, ultimately seems to drive them to that next planet, right? Where uh, after everyone. Uh, isn't there like there's like little pockets where like oh people now you know they reproduce uh, in the the regular mammalian way you know how to say that word <laughs> and that people could be but again it's like oh well they can be they can be turned back and even when he was talking about like you know heterosexuality being I think he used like the really bad word like like deviant or it can be cured and oh all of that just is is so awful but then I think it was the well yeah we'll just you know some, some people want to be like flipped flipped the other way and then they can go and have babies on these worlds and I oh no is that what's going to drive the rest of of this story and it may very well be one of the reasons why I've never pursued I've never even opened up I think any of the others in the series so maybe it changes but I'm skeptical yeah I don't know um I guess I I really just from a rereading perspective I kind of had like a a little inkling of what the final ending of the book was. And especially once I got past like the the halfway two-thirds point, I was like, okay, I know exactly where this is going. And I mean, it's definitely not a problem you could have on the first read, but on a reread it was, okay, now these battles seem really tedious and there's a whole lot of battle scenes in here and I just want to get through all the battles and, you know, get to, you know, the really good ending. I think... The end of the war, as far as the story goes, is really unsatisfying. Um, this magic clone-to-clone communication that kind of comes out of nowhere. But I, I don't know if that's really a problem. I mean, the point of the book is, is not the war. The war is never the important part. It's the social change that they're having to go through. So, I don't know. I, I don't know that I would see myself rereading this one again. As long as I can remember this, or I, you know, I have these notes that I've taken here. <laughs> well, this is, yes, that's what this project is all about, really. It's it's uh, future Wendy and Brandon are going to be like, wait, 
Oh, okay, yes. No, no, we won't do that. We'll, we'll, we'll read something else. I liked the, the, the part where they take that travel after the disastrous, you know, sort of battle they arrive, and it's, oh, you're the last people to come. You know, then we're going to destroy this because it's a, you know, monument to, to folly. And I thought I liked that part a lot. I thought that that was that was an awesome moment. Yeah, the the details of how it went down with the like, really like oh it, you had to be a clone to understand this. No, that doesn't make any sense really. The whole cloning thing didn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, and so none of that that worked, but it helped. I've still found the ending I think satisfied because I liked that moment and then I also Again, the note. I'm on a relative. I'm on the shuttle, and I'm like, and I'm going back. I'm going to survive this whole time thing. And I was like, oh yay! So I, I did, I did enjoy that part of it. But again, that requires just me forgetting huge chunks of stuff in between. So very much cherry picking. I think thinking an experience. Okay. So there's one, and it is a small thing. I know we've been talking about like big social things and I know you are not going to be as sympathetic as I am, but I'm so bitter and I will never forgive Joe Halderman for chapter six, which is the cat. I'm so (laughs) angry about the cat. I thought that it was going to go one way and I cannot decide if he just was trolling someone like me because it was the, um, you know, oh, I did have a new friend and it's the cat, of course, likes him and is sitting on his lap and then I get this line, the cat was on my lap purring loudly even though I refused to pet it. And I was like, okay, they're actually, he's going to enjoy the cat and it's going to be great. It's the curmudgeon loving the cat. And then he kills the cat. He leaves him behind and he doesn't care. So I'm just sharing a Aside from the other things, my, my third most passionate notes. <laughs> it says, All the way up and for some time afterward, I was haunted by the image of that helpless animal trapped under tons of rubble, dying slowly as the air hissed away. I was like, not the cat. You suck. <laughs> it wasn't just enough, like, oh, no. Like, or, you know, I don't really care about the cat. He described the end of that cat and then later and so that was 256 and then 257 he's like he comes back and stabs me again where he's like well minus one cat <laughs> f you man <sighs> yeah that didn't quite catch me the same way <laughs> oh, I know you don't love cats as much as I do but what is it it's like so he's like, meet Joe Halderman like, oh, what questions do you have <laughs> do, do you hate cats <laughs> Congratulations on the dumbest question I've been ever asked. Like, I don't care. Do you hate cats? Okay. I know it's a terrible turn, but I just at that point in time, I mean, I was fairly deep in. I was like, I had one thing I was, I was looking, <laughs> I was bonding with at that point in time, and and you killed it, and it was unceremonious. So yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of character development, um, and I think part of that is again probably on purpose. You know, especially given, you know, my limited knowledge of Vietnam, and, but the high casualty rate, I mean, there are probably people who came in that were really just names to you for a little while and you, you know, don't let yourself get attached to them or get to know them very well um, until they, you know, reach a certain point, you know, that they've been with you long enough. 
Uh, and I think that's one of the things that feels very, very real about this book. I don't think there was a whole lot else that did. One of the things he mentions um, when he's talking about the population of the Earth in the future is that the people are all like uh, conditioned mentally, and I think maybe even there's like drugging going on, and the, there's the total government control. But some of these systems that they're talking about stay in place for hundreds of years, and. I mean, Mandela and Mary Gay are going out and they're gone and it feels very short to them, the time that comes back. But these are long years that people are living through. And I mean, you really got to work to keep a system that static for that long. So didn't do a whole lot for me, unfortunately. Yeah. I like the, I think it does a good job with m- making like capturing imagination. I don't know that it was, you know, effective in those terms, but just even I think like trying to think, oh, what would those changes be like or what would it be? So I like the what if. I think that's really that's really strong. And it, I'm sure like scientifically, like one of the things I liked was the the language. But I'm not sure that it was a long enough time for things to develop, but I'm not a linguist by any means. I, I was terrible in linguistics classes. So I, I don't know about those shifts, but I did like the, just it starts sort of with slang a little bit, starts with accent. And then as it develops, there's little moments where it's like, oh, okay, now, you know, it's harder to understand. And then they'd have to have translators. And I, I really liked that part just, uh, so while I'm no linguist, I like reading about that. And I, I think that that was, that was cool. Again, not sure it works internally, but I liked, I liked those, but you do have, you have to work. I think I think at it. As far as uh, the Vietnam War, I guess like one of the the questions that I would have is like, did you have an experience with it, like um, like family members or learning about it in school? Because we're probably far enough apart in age that I don't know if we had the same. I mean, very little, right? Uh, very little information in school. Um, I only had one family member that was actually in the war and like a lot of ex-soldiers was not interested in talking about it so no real first-hand information no or even i guess that'd be second-hand mm-hmm. information yeah yeah my dad was in vietnam uh, and not he was in the air force uh, and uh, i think he saw perhaps some combat but but not you know, some moments rather than uh, than a sustained thing. But yeah, he doesn't he doesn't talk. About, he, he never talked about it much. Uh, but I do see even today. I think like some of the the things. I, there's a I don't know bitterness maybe too strong, but I think there's a lot of problems with just like how I think he still feels like like Vietnam veterans are forgotten or treated. Uh, and in school, it was, I think, close enough to enough people that it wasn't just that we didn't study, that it was a very, very touchy subject. So I think the most I remember ever learning about it was in a political science class. And I'm fairly certain that it was like one lecture. And it was like just, it was down to like buzzwords that we would memorize. And we didn't, you know, even if we asked questions, it was shut down. Uh, you know, so reading something like this, I, I find kind of fascinating that way. And, and just the... Yeah, you know, just the differences in attitude uh, 
And, you know, I mean, we were in Madison, Wisconsin, around that area. So um, in terms of Vietnam history, <laughs> you know, like lots of protests. And so uh, my parents, uh, I think my mom is like one of the few people that I will meet that actively hates both beatniks and hippies. <laughs> and has, like, I'm sure that they might have been, you know, annoying in their own ways, but my mom gets, you know, like really visceral about it. And so I just, it's not that my like personal experience ports over exactly, but I, I do get fascinated by this, like what it might have been like to leave a place, right? Be in another place that you cannot actually like necessarily describe, right? To someone who hasn't been there and then just seeing the way that the life has progressed. And I think that there's really cool echoes of that uh, in here. I will ask every once in a while just about, you know, people's, uh, you know, kind of knowledge. I'm not an expert by any means, but. Well, I, I think it's, it's interesting in, the, in like that soldier experience probably is still very similar. You know, the, the idea of trying to explain what happens to civilians, I'm sure it never gets easier. But I think the, the at least in America, the, the raising of soldiers to heroes has really changed how, you know, the individual soldiers now are welcomed back. Um, and, and, I mean, obviously everybody does that with a different level of sincerity, but certainly I think the idea that all soldiers are heroes and should be treated that way and thanked for their service is a big part of the culture now, where certainly it was not in uh, the Vietnam era. Yeah, I think you're, you're exactly right. And so I think that in this, because Mandela really isn't a hero. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, that that's cool. I mean, he doesn't do, I mean, he does terrible things, but it's not also like he's not like a, a terrible war criminal or anything. He just seems like, what? I, mean, I guess, do you think he's lucky? Is it, how is that sort of depicted? I, I think that's probably part of it. Because um, there's so much randomness involved. And even in, you know, like the, who gets killed when the pods fail or the, the pod buckles and Mary Gay gets injured. You know, it's just, you never know what's going to happen. And so many different things are happening all at once, all the time. I, I think definitely he's, he's, I think he's portrayed as lucky throughout the book. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's just one of the parts I, I think that I find more appealing about that. Even as as I'm reading it, it is messing with my my expectations uh, because I expect, you know, oh, well, he's rising in the ranks. Oh, well, he's got to be, you know, better or more clever or something. And each time I fall into that, the, the story is, no, right, that's not what this is about. And so I think that that's, that's a fun way to, to probably mess with the reader's expectations. I'm probably not alone in, in thinking, thinking that. And even as you were talking about, like, the sort of the collaborative of nature of you know problem solving and I think that I don't, do you think that there was a progression because it seemed like initially like maybe there were a couple things where he could maybe like engineer his way out of it was it one of the earlier things where there was a suit that failed mm-hmm. yeah and then he had to build like a temporary structure real fast yeah and so I didn't do that alone no yeah but it was it was let's I'm trying to think it was his idea right, right? 
And so then they, they got together and they, they did that. But I still kind of felt like I was like, oh, is he the idea guy? Mm. Is he the one? And I was so even like that deep into the story. I was, oh, well, he's going to be the one that like brings in the problem solving. Or look, he's the he's the physics guy. He's going to know this sort of thing. And I guess I really I would have been probably really entertained and happy if he had been that but I also think that it was pretty great that, I mean, that stopped serving him really pretty quickly because yeah. of those time jumps. It's like, oh, yeah, all this stuff. I think it was they were on Earth, and they're like, really, the only relevant experience you have is combat. Yeah. <laughs> How incredibly depressing. And probably, that's probably true, you know, if you're yeah. over, like, serving and then just kind of trying to come back. And uh, especially for, well, I don't know about especially, but, like, academics or you have, like, those certain jobs where it's, like, anything that maybe has technology involved with it. Uh, so I, I, did, I did like that. And then just increasingly, it's like, no, no, he's not, not all that clever. And uh, so the earthquake, the thing that, I mean, I know that I concentrated on it killed the cat, but it killed a lot more people. And I might have gotten confused. Did a bunch of people die because they, they weren't going to follow him? Was I don't remember that. Okay. All right. So I might be, I might be talking on a turn. But I thought that there was there was a there was part where it was oh yeah towards the end mm-hmm. all the people that refuse yeah yeah all the people that refused to to go into the dome thing with him yeah yeah so I guess it was like not a very effective leader probably not necessarily like because of a personal failing but probably because that the gulf between them was just too great yeah uh, but again just a really nice way I think to like capture like. The, the chaos of it and also just like the yeah the absurdity like all of the things going on uh, and then also bringing to like they never did they ever have a clear objective really yeah and I from what little I know it, I think that that was a lot of what happened in Vietnam I kind of remember some stories here and there my dad you know might have have told about like just didn't really know but sure like that's uh, or other things that I've read but you can I don't know I think like just looking at like war stories like that just seems to be I mean honestly it's a constant I'm sure that it, Vietnam had its own levels and its own flavors and this space opera certainly has the the same kind of thing but uh, you know I go back and you know look at things like uh, like Vonnegut's work or uh, like Catch-22 or any number of these it seems like yeah you just get an army together get a bureaucracy and things things go go awry so I'm not gonna lie I was, was a little disappointed yeah uh, I guess the cool parts were still cool yeah I, I wanted to love it right I mean that's why we started this whole project <laughs> no, it's and... like strike two what's going on <laughs> it's gonna take a lot of time for me to be able to reread this if I even want to try yeah I think I'm sorry well I would say I think it's worth reading once oh without a doubt yeah I I mean I don't know that I would tell people that you know pick this up and read it every year but I think definitely going into it with an open mind and knowing exactly when it was written and being able to understand there's going to be things in here that you definitely do not like um, that's the way to read it I think yeah, I think so. I, I would not. I would not question it. I think it's on like a the, a list of you know like science fiction masterworks, and I, I do not dispute that at all. And I think that it's a 
it's an important book. I would not tell someone, you know, you absolutely must read these books to be a science fiction fan. Um, but if you are interested in, you know, like, certainly the history of it, or, uh, you know, just I would think, like, honestly, military science fiction, uh, or just, like, things that have to do with, like, time, space travel, uh, reading it I think in dialogue too so um, so you said you did not have the the John Scalzi no, uh, introduction no. yeah so uh, it's it's kind of worth reading and I think it was part of the sort of tells the story of like you know meeting Joe Halderman and I think when Old Man's War came out a lot of people were like oh yeah like that's your answer to Forever War and <laughs> oh, I hadn't read it you know? <laughs> so it was a great story I won't you know necessarily I guess I spoiled like the punchline of it but uh, he has as you might imagine like some some fairly smart things to say about it and uh, there's a couple quotes here uh, it says like its hero the book has come through time to be part of something in this case it's to be a reminder to all those who are looking to come home again and those who care about them that there's something someone who's been where they are now and who knows what they feel and why uh yeah i think that that still that still holds true uh, but i just i did not appreciate just a lot of those different lines so it it soured it i i think a bit just in terms of like just this was not the the treat that i thought it was going to be that's a good way to put it like, we're sad trombone. <laughs> just... All right. I think that's it. I think that is it. Oh.